Water, life's most necessary substance, costs about three times more than gasoline when it comes in a plastic bottle. To put that into perspective, if you filled up your car's 15-gallon tank with bottled water, it would actually cost you about $150. Now, we have already learned about the world's growing scarcity of clean water on Preview of Tomorrow. As mentioned in an earlier episode, we only have about 18 years before all the fresh water in the world is used. On a planet that is covered with about 70% water, there must be a way to work with the resources we have to keep humanity from going thirsty. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Preview of Tomorrow. I am your host, Mike Lake, and in this preview, I will be talking to Louise Bleach, the head of impact at a startup called Desalinator, whose scalable solution can make any water safe and drinkable, and all with a net zero environmental impact. Innovation, resiliency, discovery. Join Mike Lake, president and CEO of Leading Cities, as we explore the technologies shaping the possibilities of our future with a preview of tomorrow. Hello and welcome, Louise. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And, and once again, welcome to all our listeners. I'd like to introduce you to Louise Bleach, the head of impact at Desalinator, a startup that has found a way to provide net zero water at scale through 100% solar driven water purification a true revolution in providing quality drinking water to millions in need. Now, Louise, before we get into Desalinator and this real challenge of access to, to drinkable water that exists in the world, tell me, how did you become involved in this particular issue? Um, well, yeah, thank you. For, firstly, Michael, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I got involved because, so my previous what feels like a lifetime ago, my previous job before joining Desalinator, I was working um, in international development out in Malawi. Um, we were doing a lot of programs around adult literacy, education, nutrition, um, income generation for women. And being in that environment and doing the, that sort of work, I quickly realized that it actually amounted to nothing unless you had the correct foundation in place, which is really access to clean water. Without access to clean water, girls can't go to school because they're ill or collecting the water. Without access to clean water, it doesn't matter what kind of nutrition projects you're doing because you're ingesting dirty water on a daily basis. And so I was always really interested in, in development. And that time there really made me realize that actually we're not going to be able to do any of fulfill any of the SDGs until we get water right first. Um, and that's sort of what, what led me to, to joining Desolinator as I think I was the second full-time team member there five years ago now. Wow. And I mean, I've done some traveling to, to such places and it makes you realize, it doesn't take you long to realize, but it does make you realize just how uh, much we take for granted access to, you know, clean, safe drinking water. You know, you turn the tap and boom, there it is, a glass full of, of perfectly fine water. I'm sure you have seen some of the conditions in which people are, are especially when drinking surface water, which is still a, uh, way too many people in this world. 
Absolutely. But I also think, you know, it is a common misconception that people think that it only affects developing economies or the poorer countries. Um, you know, you, you can look at the states, look at Flint, mm-hmm. Michigan, what happened there with the water situation there. Look at um, some of the biggest cities in the world. I mean, day zero, which happened in Cape Town not that long ago, um, that's a pretty developed city. You could look at Chennai. They ran out of water last year for four days. That's home to seven million people, one of the fastest growing cities in in, in India. And also even Istanbul a few months ago ran out of water. So even though when we talk about water scarcity and water issues, a lot of people think it's the problem of poorer, more developing Mm -hmm. nations, but actually it's much closer to home and it really is a a global issue. There's no doubt about it. Just here, I, I live north of Boston. We just had a water main break and a water warning as a result just today. Uh, started last night. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had recent um, alerts to the fact that there's high levels of um, lead in the water because of the pipes. Um, so even when you do have, as you say, that that developed uh, infrastructure, it doesn't always mean that it's it's the safest water. Yeah, correct. So, so when we think about the the amount of water that exists on Earth, I mean, I think we all learned early on in, in our education that the majority of the Earth is covered by water. But the reality is a very small percentage, about 4%, right, if, if I remember that correctly, is actually drinkable water. Yeah, and I'm really glad you, you brought that point up because it, it's true. We live on a blue planet. Two-thirds of the world's surface is is covered with water. You know, there's there's the water is everywhere. Um, but it's actually less than one percent that's available for drinking. So there's um three percent of the world's water is fresh water, but the majority of it is uh trapped in glaciers or actually um trapped in rock, um subterranean rock, which isn't access access accessible. So the water which is accessible to us, so you can think of surface water such as lakes, but also this includes aquifers, so groundwater, it's actually less than 1%. Which is so that's a, actually worse than I thought. Yeah, well, better worse. It is, well. it, it's just the reality. And that 1% has been sustaining us for centuries, um, for millennia, sustaining people. But the the, the issue today is that demand is outstripping supply. Mm-hmm. Um, this is because, I mean, first of all, there are more of us. We're seeing huge population growth, um, rise of industrialization, which uses a lot of water. With extra people comes extra food. Agriculture is the second largest user of user of water. And the the challenge is, is there's very little regulation as to how we extract water, how we use water, how we do or don't purify it, how we do or don't clean it after the processes that we use it for. Um, So yeah, already have very little, but we're needing more every single day. Well, and to that point about purifying water, it's it's obviously a, a critical step. I mean, we don't wanna be drinking hazardous water, but at the same time, when you think about issues of environmental impact and energy consumption and, and, and the like, 
it's not a very um, friendly environmentally uh, sound process, generally speaking, or historically. Is that right? So it would, it depends. Um, water is quite, can be quite complex in its nature. And if you think of contaminants on sort of a scale, um, at the lower end, you have very simple things like uh, bacterial contamination, um, E. coli, bacteria, viruses, which live in the water. And to be honest, any water that's stagnant for a few days will start to develop that. So those, that sort of purification can be done very simply. You can use charcoal filters, you can use simple sand filters, and it can be done in a very environmental way. But as contamination gets more complex, so let's say you have nitrates coming in from agricultural use. Let's say you have um, chemicals from industrial water. Let's say you have fluoride, arsenic in the water. Trying to get rid of those compounds is quite a complicated process. Um, and then even on further on probably the, the, the higher end of the scale is seawater. Now, salt is one of the most stubborn things to remove from water. And I speak from painful experience. But um, uh, And so that's why when we're looking at the desalination industry, over the course of the few years, there have really only be a, been a few technologies who are able to handle this sort of contamination. And you are correct in saying that those technologies dealing with very complex water are currently doing so in, in an unsustainable way. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to desalinator and, and the real, as I mentioned before, kind of revolutionary solution that, that's been developed. Do you want to tell us a little bit of, mm-hmm. of how it works and, and why it's so different than other, other desalination processes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe I'll take a step back and actually explain, in the majority of cases, how desalination is done today. Sure. So uh, usually how it goes about is using um, membrane technologies. So the way that this works is you take water, you need a huge amount of energy, and then you push that water through different membranes and filters. And at each membrane, basically a little bit more of the salt and impurities is removed. Now, one of the issues with doing this is you have to chemically pre-treat the water. Um, There's about 27 different chemicals, up to 27 that you could use, including hydrochloric acids, including chlorides, um, and then you have the membranes themselves. Membranes with salt water only last five, maximum eight years, and then they have to be replaced. And then usually how this process is powered is either by being connected to the grid or by using fossil fuels. If you take somewhere, um, many places in the Middle East, for example, to produce three barrels of water takes one barrel of oil. So you think of this at scale. You think of all the chemicals going into the water, um, all of the membranes needing to be replaced, and all of the carbon which comes by burning fuel to make this process work. And you see desalination growing as an industry in the future. You think this is not, you know, we've sent people to Mars. This cannot be the way that we're we're getting our clean water. Let's forget about even the toxic brine, which is being released into the ocean afterwards because of all these chemicals that we've used. So for us at Desolinator, 
we really wanted to create a step change in the industry. So instead of making, you know, incremental improvements. By the way, I would call it a sea change. A sea change. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I'm going to, I'm actually going to coin that for, for my next presentation. <laughs> Um, instead of basically trying to improve an existing process, such as, let's say, reverse osmosis or membrane, membrane technology, you will still always have those fundamental problems. So what we've done is taken a new approach to, to desalination, one which is um, completely powered by renewable energy, um, one where the purification method doesn't require any harmful chemicals. We actually only use one chemical, which is food safe and biodegradable. Um, and also one that is resilient to changes in water. Something that I didn't mention is reverse osmosis and membrane technologies are calibrated to one type of water. Mm. If your water quality changes over time, you have to reconfigure the whole system. Um, so maybe I'll just quickly touch upon the elements uh, of how the technology works. So one is how we harvest energy. So we use um, custom and patented PVT panels. So I think everyone's familiar with, with PV, right? It's how we convert solar energy into electricity. Photovoltaic. Photovoltaic, exactly, yeah. correct. So PVT stands for photovoltaic thermal. Mm -hmm. So what we're actually doing is not only harvesting electricity, we're also harvesting thermal energy. And that actually makes our panels four times more efficient than standard PV. Hmm. So this thermal energy, essentially heat, uh, and electricity are the two ingredients that you need, the only two that you need to power our purification vessels. Um, the purification vessels happen in uh, essentially these vessels called what we call multi-effect distillation, a bit of a fancy term for what I like to think of as a very fancy kettle. We're essentially taking in water, under pressure, flash evaporating it, so boiling it, and collecting the pure steam. Once we have that steam, we remineralize it, so put minerals in to make it safe for drinking. And then the third element is how we harvest, recycle, and store energy. And we actually do that with a thermal battery and a standard lithium ion battery, which means that even though we're renewably powered, we can oper operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. So, I mean, this is why I describe it as so revolutionary. Um, it is it is a sustainable system. It is uh, not it's sustainable in its own right, but it's also sustainable for the environment. Looking into the future now uh, and, and the Solinators products, either as they exist today or future iterations of them. Um, I mean, do you see this that every home, for instance, would have one? Or is this large scale, like wastewater treatment plant size, you know, or all of the above? So we deal in, we occupy what's called the missing middle. So you have these huge desalination plants, think about plants in Israel and the Middle East, um, which are centralized solutions. Um, what we produce is sort of middle of the range volumes. So our units, uh, well, I should, I call them units, but they're really plants, produce 250,000 liters per day, starting at. So that's the smallest we'll do. Mm -hmm. um, so really we are, we are considered a bit of infrastructure. 
And I think when I look towards the future, it makes me think of what does the future of infrastructure need to be? What does the future of des- what does the future of the industry for water for desalination look like? And for me, it has to be two things. First of all, it has to be net zero. It has to contribute towards a low carbon future. Um, climate change is a very harsh just reality that we're going to have to deal with. And if we're going to survive as a planet, as a species, we need to be investing in infrastructure which produces less carbon. So I think the net zero element and the low carbon future is incredibly important. But then there's the other side of that coin. Climate change is happening all over the world now. So how do you support communities, countries, corporates who are already feeling the effects of climate change? How do you make them more resilient? How do you make them adapt? Um, And climate change is in many places felt through water. So I'll give you a concrete example. In our project in West Bengal, rising sea levels because of climate change has actually caused huge amounts of saline water intrusion Mm -hmm. into freshwater aquifers. So by using our technology in those sorts of locations, you are making communities actually resilient to the effects of climate change today. So that's really what we're trying to push the industry towards. I mean, we are a small company, but I really see ourselves as a movement underpinned by technology. What we're doing represents so much more than just, you know, a solution in isolation. We really want to be pioneering this new approach uh, to water, to climate, to infrastructure, and basically how we can build back better. Well, and I'll say 95, about 95% of the world's cities are coastal cities, which means a tremendous part of the world's population is living right there at the edge, as you just described in West Bengal. Sea level rise is a threat. Salinated water, you know, seawater is in abundance. Um, And yet the processes we go through to get safe drinking water, um, it's it's just unsustainable and environmentally dangerous. Um, not not to mention contributing to the as as has often been said the greatest existential threat to humanity right now, which is climate change, and furthering the sea level rise. So this really does. I mean, even for those in as you pointed out in well developed countries. Uh, this this affects all of us um, in rural areas, in urban areas, in developed countries, in developing nations. I mean, it, it really is a universal challenge, and we all have our role to play. So I, I'm just so grateful for the work that you all are doing at Desalinator and, and for leading this movement. Uh, it's so critical for all of us. But tell me and, and tell our listeners, if we want to learn more, how might we get in touch or, or, or learn more about Desalinator? Um, I think probably the easiest way is through our website. Um, it's just www.desalinator.com. There you have access to articles we've written. Um, you've got all our social media channels on there. And we're, I would say watch this space. We've got a couple of very exciting announcements happening uh, in the next month. And so we hope that you'll be able to see more of us uh, on, yeah, on news channels, on more podcasts. Uh, 
yeah, because we're going to be making a lot of noise about this shortly. Well, congratulations. And again, Louise, thank you so much for joining us here on Preview of Tomorrow. You're so welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. Listeners like you are essential to advancing our efforts to drive resiliency and sustainability for all. I ask that you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever streaming platform you prefer. Your feedback helps us to grow and share these brief previews of what life in the future can be. In addition to thanking our guests today, I want to thank Peter Roy and Demetria Bridges for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and encourage others to also join us each week in previewing the possibilities of tomorrow. Preview of Tomorrow is brought to you by Leading Cities, a global nonprofit driving resilience and sustainability for all by unleashing the potential of the world's cities. Join them at leadingcities.org.